but it's curiosity as to where we are, what we are. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Hello, Curious Humans. Ryan Dewey is an entrepreneur, podcaster, and the CEO of Plunge.com. And as you'll hear in this episode, he's a remarkably self-aware and courageous human. Over a decade ago, Ryan had what he calls his greatest gift, which was essentially a head-on motorcycle accident in Thailand. And this near-death experience catapulted him into a journey of self-inquiry, leading him to the jungles of the Amazon and inside a float tank. In our conversation today, you can expect to learn how he shifted his definition of success to go from being externally focused to internally, and his relationship with surrendering into the cold, and how this, along with the path of entrepreneurship and partnership, continue to increase his nervous system capacity. I made the decision to work with sponsors for this podcast, and there are two main reasons for this. The first is that it helps me dedicate more time and resources to having deep dive conversations like this one and hopefully growing the show. And the second is that there are a few companies that have honestly made a big difference in my life. And since I consider them to be just such a huge value add, I'm genuinely excited to talk about what they offer and I hope they'll be useful to you as well. First up is Inside Tracker. One of the things that I've changed my mind on in the past year or so is the value of getting blood panels taken on a regular basis, ideally every six months, according to Dr. Peter Atiyah. This is opposed to waiting until you have an actual health issue. Inside Tracker tests your blood, your DNA, and they basically provide clear science-backed recommendations around nutrition, exercise, supplements, and lifestyle recommendations. They've also recently added hormone testing alongside a bunch of other really important biomarkers that aren't typically included in traditional blood panels, and APOB is a good example. And for myself, despite generally feeling pretty great, my most recent set of results show that I have some pretty major work to do to reduce levels of inflammation. So I'll be following some of their dietary and supplement recommendations to hopefully address this. So I really recommend making this something that you make time for at least once or twice per year. And you can save 20% at insidetracker.com forward slash curious humans. That's insidetracker.com forward slash curious humans. Next up, we have The Plunge. I reached out to the founder of The Plunge, Ryan, after hearing his personal story on Danny Miranda's podcast. And I've shared many times how getting in icy cold water every day helps me to move through some pretty intense grief in the past. And it taught me what it meant to surrender. And these days I use their plunge pretty much every single day. It's, it's basically like a high stakes meditation or a mirror to my own internal state. And the plunge team have done a phenomenal job architecting what I really consider to be the best cold plunge in the world. And it doesn't get grimy, unlike the, the converted chest freezers that I used to use. And for optimal health benefits, I recommend doing this deliberate cold exposure for about 11 minutes per week in total. And if you're interested, you can save $150 on their full unit at 
plunge.com forward slash curious. That's plunge.com forward slash curious. And this episode is brought to you by the one and only Nervous System Mastery. This is my flagship five-week bootcamp designed to equip you with evidence-backed protocols to cultivate calm, conquer reactivity, and build emotional regulation. Our fourth cohort will be running in April 2024, and applications are open right now. And my sense is that if this conversation and others like it on the podcast resonate with you, then you'd likely be a great fit for the upcoming cohort. This curriculum represents my attempt to distill everything that I've learned in recent years about how to create the conditions for our nervous systems flourishing. It's run in an intensive cohort-based way. Since this is, in my experience, the most efficient way to not only learn the information, but also embody the protocols in your everyday life. Previous students have shared how taking part not only improved their sleep, the quality of their relationships, but also tap into deeper states of joy, clarity, and confidence in their lives. We've had over 750 students complete this training, and many have said it's been the most impactful thing they've ever done for their personal growth. So if you're intrigued at all, you can find out more details and apply to join the next cohort at nsmastery.com. That's nsmastery.com. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast, Ryan. Thanks for having me, man. Excited for the convo. How are you feeling in this exact moment in three words? I feel energized. I feel a little anxious and uh, optimistic. Beautiful. Well, the question that I love to start these conversations with is, do you consider yourself to have been an exceptionally curious child? And if so, can you remember a story about something that you were curious about? I don't think... Of course, you never view yourself as that. I mean, now as I'm older, I'm like, I put that word connected to being curious. I was always a big into like, why? You know, sometimes just to be like, I think to push people's buttons a bit. Like it was outside of curiosity and more just to be like, explain yourself, like why? And I think as a child, trying to think like an exact moment of like actual curiosity and it unfolding. Nothing's coming to mind like right now of like just some pure curious moment, but I definitely like, I pushed the boundaries. That was like my big thing. I always was finding, like I was big into, I guess, curiosity into like, why is it have to be done this way? Especially in school. Like I went through the public school system and it worked for me because I, I understood, I could really watch the system and how it worked and be like, okay, there's a kind of a formula to this and it's like, why is it done this way? And then curious into, okay, first, why do we do it this way? Then I'm curious, like, how do you do this quicker? Or are there actual shortcuts to this into the process and into getting outcomes that, you know, I understood that outcomes were important in a public school system. Like it was grades. And then it was like, okay, if that's the end goal, that's what a success is, you know, being recognized until you get the good grade, you are deemed successful, you get access to college, watching that system, maybe I wasn't learning the most, but I got curious into why the system worked the way it did. And then it became a very, for me, easy, like 
very simplified process. I knew what had to get done. And I think it started from kind of getting curious into like, what does the world view as success and what is success here? So that was, yeah, I think public school system kind of was my intro into that. Mm. Yeah, that resonates with me as well. I also went to, I went to a British private school and I feel like I was the annoying kid in the back of the classroom who was, who was like asking why all the time, like, why, why are we learning this? Like, just what's the point? And being frustrated and not getting, just being met in that kind of desire to, to know things that are outside of the structured curriculum. Totally. Um, I, every teacher I had was always really frustrated with me to start. Like I was, had a special seat. I was in the side of the classroom, like kind of blocked off from the class. But by the end, I had a very close relationship with them. And I think they understood that I was, yes, I was a nuisance and I had a lot of energy, but equally, like I was trying to bring understanding to things for myself, even for the classroom. So by the end, I think they appreciated the challenge or it made them even maybe get to this word curious a little bit more or a deeper understanding of what they're talking about. So I always ended with like a really strong relationship with everyone, but it always started with a little friction. And it took some time to kind of get to know what my intentions were and who I was. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds like curiosity to me. <laughs> I, I don't know how you define it, but that definitely sounds like, it's almost like how curiosity is expressed when it's not explicitly welcomed in a, in a space or in a system. And kind of like, I think it does create friction a lot of the time. Totally. So you mentioned success. How has the way that you think about success shifted over the years since that time at school when it was very clear, when it's like, okay, you get good grades, you go to college, and that is success. How do you think about that now? I think the big shift is like success back then was external. And now it's, it's much more of an internal, like it's my true perspective of what I feel. Success to me is happiness. Like I like very simplified, am I happy? Happy to me is not like a moment to moment thing, but kind of a generalized viewpoint into like holistically where I'm at at this time. And so, yeah, back in the day, I mentioned like school, I termed, I deemed success. Like it was, how did faculty view me? How did my parents view me? That was what success was. Um, and I think it was like being accepted by my tribe at that time. You know, that was my community and that was, you know, we all want to be acknowledged. And that was, I recognize that was the way to be acknowledged for being successful. As I've grown, it's become more of like, okay, what, what's success to me? What is happiness to me? Like, what makes me feel good? So that's just changed over time. And I think a big part of that was when I, I went abroad, I studied abroad, and then I moved abroad after college. And it was just a, a full-on shift. So I was full, I went, it was solo. Like, I was finally away from my tribe. And I was in a new tribe. And I was in a new community. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of people that are happy over here and doing things completely different than what I thought how things had to be. And there was no linear path that I had probably subconsciously or unconsciously kind of got onto. Like, this is how life works. And that ex brought so much excitement to me. It's like, oh, like there's no real blueprint to this. Like there isn't a blueprint. It's really like everyone's figuring out. We have this like kind of false reality that this is how it has to go. But that is not real. And I finally snapped out of that. And that was like a big, that was, a, those were huge shifts in my life into starting to internalize like what, what success, what happiness, what is the life that I want to create for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where did you move to out of interest? I studied in Barcelona and then I, I moved back to Madrid. So I was in Spain. Mm, nice. 
Yeah, that also tracks with with my journey as well. After school, I I did like an eleven month trip around the world, and that for me was this deeply formative experience where all of the constraints and the systems and the rigidity that I'd I'd fought for like all of these years, I was like free of. It felt like breaking free of these shackles and almost being like apprenticed to the wonder of the world. And like you say, just the fact that there isn't a blueprint and that so much becomes possible in this space. Yeah, you start to learn, pick up ingredients from other places and question why why did I always want to do that? Why was I, you know, was that actually something I wanted to do or was that just my friend group that I was kind of in some gravitas, like consistently doing? And so, yeah, I think uh, that 11-month journey that I see, I don't think we do as much in the US, definitely like Australia, European countries you see, and it's like, I think it's just such the most healthy always been very uh impressed and inspired by that yeah well i um i was listening to the conversation you had with our mutual friend danny and you mentioned that you recently had all of your lower teeth removed <laughs> and uh i recently had my wisdom teeth taken out as well and it was i mean i thought that was challenging but I, i'm curious what was that like for you and also what's the deeper story behind why you had to have your your teeth removed yeah so right now i actually have some like kind of fake teeth in for temporary. So yeah, I had my teeth removed. I had three teeth removed. Right now we're in uh, end of August. This was beginning of June. And it really stems from an accident that happened 10 years ago. So I was in a um, motorbike accident in Thailand. Well, I call it the greatest gift of my life. And was in a hospital for about three weeks out there, had a number of injuries. But the main one was basically a I, uh, my jaw was fractured in half, split the whole, all my teeth kind of every, the whole lower jaw was, um, had to have surgery to put that back together. Anyways, they, they put it back together, but there was always this unknown of like, we don't know if the teeth will survive. And so they were, it was kind of on the fence, like, will the bone, will it reconnect to the bone? Fast forward years, it was still a little ambiguous. And then this is where it's on me. I went through like a three-year spell that I didn't go to the dentist. And during that time, <laughs> that's when shit hit the fan. And then it caused multiple issues. So where I probably could have had two teeth removed, it turned into three. So yeah, I had the teeth removed kind of in my journey right now. It's definitely been a, uh, you know, I have a lot. For me, my mouth as growing up was like a huge insecurity. I had braces for six years. I was the kid that had braces before anyone. I had like a really misaligned jaw. So I was in the dentist all the time. And it was like a place that was not, I don't think the dentist is joyous for anyone, but it was like very tough place for me. And so what's fascinating is, you know, I, I have this, I finally, I got word earlier this year, you go, we have to remove your teeth. And it brought up so much for me. It was like kind of back to my childhood of like, oh my, I thought I was past this. Like, man, I have, you know, these wounds that I thought had kind of disappeared, came back up and I was like fully brought back into my childhood. And what was crazy is where, so I'm back in Sacramento. I grew up here. I live in this region now again, but where I went to the dentist every, like multiple times a month as a child, my surgery to remove my teeth was the building next door randomly in Sacramento. You know, Sacramento is a multi-million metro area. And I remember, I didn't know. And I remember driving that morning and my girlfriend's driving me. And I was like, oh my God, like we're literally driving to where I drove as a kid 
all the time where like my it was like this cycle was repeating of it was like okay you get to rewrite the story like what is going on here and so it's been to be honest for me it's, it's kind of been i do a lot of speaking it's definitely brought up a lot and i'm kind of in my journey right now of you know hopefully getting to the end here of getting some they've had to do the bone graft because i had no bone in there anyways getting the teeth put in i'm hoping the journey ends here in the next few months but it all stemmed from that accident 10 years ago which really kind of catapulted it and changed my whole life yeah wow man and you mentioned that you view that accident as like one of the greatest gifts of your life like that's on the face of it sounds strange how did you come to that perspective very quickly it happened i was in thailand the night of the accident i had a major concussion so i don't really remember the accident don't even really remember fully how it happened i was with my best friend but anyways that night when it happened it was head on collision he finds me in the road fully knocked out whole jaw basically split in two throw me in the back of a truck i'm in and out of consciousness i wake up in a clinic Copenhagen, an island in outside of in, in thailand and then there was no hospital there so they speedboat me to the next island but i remember getting to kosamui where the the hospital was where i would be for the next three weeks and that night i just turned to my buddy blake and i was like i i needed this and i you know he looked at me like i'm insane like i have no i'm kind of in and out of, of consciousness and i but it was very clear to me of like it was almost exciting it was like wow you have like a new set like there's something meaningful happening like this is like a a moment in time and i i've always found like the big hard moments are like the most for me i can kind of take them with grace because i get excited they're like big chapters to my story you know like i i kind of deepen my identity i want to be interesting and so when this moment happens like <laughs> oh shit you're on a you're on your deathbed in in a foreign country like getting speedboat like i was very present to that so i i think for me, it's, it's been helpful where I'm maybe not as graceful is like the small moments that can be as meaningful that I want to push off and be resistant towards, or, you know, maybe the, the smaller kind of not, not as interesting moments. I don't, uh, maybe respect or handle as well, but the big ones, they've always been real massive in my life. And I, um, yeah, grateful for that, but yeah, it's been it. What it did was, you know, on the deathbed, my life was good. It was not. It was in a good place. I had a job I really liked. I was, I was traveling. I had good friendships. I had good family. Like everything was good. Like even better than good. It was great. But there's always that deeper level to kind of go. And I think it was very clear. It was like, okay, what are the things you want to do right now that for some reason have been playing out into the future that you're like you'll get to. And it was like, you know, I got that taste of like, dude, this is, it's all make believe that tomorrow's coming. Like really, like we all hear it, but it's like, that's the gift. Like I finally got to embody that. Like, oh shit. Like this isn't guaranteed. And this is tomorrow's not real. Like that's totally made up. And so it just accelerated. I'm sitting in a hospital bed for three weeks. I couldn't eat. I lost a ton of weight. They basically, I couldn't even drink water. They were just, I was on an IV and I just, sat there thinking a lot, <laughs> journaling, thinking, <laughs> it was like, Hey, what do you want to do? And, you know, for me at that time was the big thing was I wanted to go to the Amazon and I wanted to work with ayahuasca. And this was back in 2012, the, it was the night before New Year's Eve, 2012. So 2013 at this point, and that was it. And I had never met anyone that had done that. It was very, it was so abstract and so foreign to what my kind of 
community, my lifestyle had been. I wouldn't say lifestyle, but my um, like who was around me and what I knew about that. I just was so drawn to it for reasons of like, just really wanted to dive to another level of who I was and understand that and see that and see new angles and new perspectives of, of life and my life and what spirituality was to me. Anyways, all those things that I, I just like, that will be the greatest adventure ever. And I'll do it when I'm, when whatever that future moment was, it was like, dude, now. And so I just sped up that whole moment and spent the next year really kind of prepping my mind, my body. It's when I got in my first float tank, which became my first business. So it was all very synchronistic of what was kind of the breadcrumbs that were like leading me in a direction that still has been one of the most like powerful years of my life of just like very, very in tune to the synchronicities and like of life that are always there. But I think we just, we can turn them up at different moments. That was a really, really special year. And the accident, you know, allowed that switch to get flipped on. Mm. It sounds like, it sounds like that accident was like the, the call to adventure in the hero's journey. And most people, most people resist the call for a good number of like weeks, months, years. And it sounds like you just, you just skipped that phase and you just went, you just went straight in. <laughs> You're like, okay, this is, this is an adventure. And I really resonate with the framing of, of plant medicine as an inner adventure. Like I was, I was big into travel. I was big into expeditions when I was younger and something shifted for me about five years ago as well, where it, it felt like the, the real uncharted territory, like the terra incognita was this like inner landscape. And that was, that's kind of what I've dedicated my life to for the last five years. And it sounds like that's what really opened up for you in that year. What were some of the, both the, the kind of in the, in the hero's journey framework, like the trials and tribulations in that, that plant medicine journey or, or afterwards? And what were, what were some of the boons that, that emerged on the other side? Yeah, I think prepping that year, there was like a big identity for me of, it was very scary for me to tell people that I was going to do this. I could tell like my closest friends, they, they understood this part of me, but I think there was an identity of, there was an identity of, of what I had grown up in, kind of my growing up in a, a fairly like conservative Christian household that, you know, was kind of scared, I guess, to be judged by that community of, oh, you, you do this, like that didn't understand it. And it was my own, you know, insecurity of myself. Like once I started to come out with it, everyone was very cool and supportive and loving. And yeah, I had some side looks or some people questioning it, but overall it was like, awesome. Like if that's what makes you happy and is going, you're, you know, we're, we're supportive of it, but it was, that year was hard. Like I told my sister, I told my dad right at the end, I think he kind of made him nervous. He didn't understand it at all. Like you're going where you're going to the Amazon jungle. Most people hadn't heard of it 10 years ago. I mean, it's only really been the last five years that it, it's exploded. That's where it, there was no mainstream dynamics to it. And so it was very like, you're going, what? Like even the concept of like, you're going to a tribe out in the Amazon to like drink some brew. Like it didn't resonate with a lot. Like I couldn't tell my mom. I told my mom I was going to a meditation retreat down in South America. That was the furthest I could get, which there wasn't, it wasn't a lie at it's all. It's not not true, right? <laughs> exactly. And looking back, I think it was like, there was a bit of being judged, but it was also like, it's kind of meeting people where they were at. You know, it's a lot for my mom to tell her this and you her to be scared and put this on her. Like, you know, where something she doesn't really understand. Anyways, it's like, I didn't tell her, but then I ended up having such a powerful experience with her 
down in the jungle where it, that was like the core of it. Like the core was, I went down thinking I was going to have this experience of like, quit your job and go start. I started floating and I fell in love with floating. I was like, I want to start a float center. I was working in professional sports at the time, really enjoyed my job. So I, anyways, I thought I was going down to be like, I'm going to learn how to go start my new business. You know, like that was what my conscious mind was like thinking. And it was so quick, like that's taken care of. <laughs> like, okay, that's done. Don't worry about that. We don't have to think about that one more time. Let's get to work. And, you know, and then it really became like parental dynamics and like who I was. And anyways, the core of it was like my mom. And it was like my mom's like love for me. Like, that's the thing of my greatest gratitude in life is like my parents, like I've never questioned what love was. Like they've given that to me at my like from the onset of my life. And I never, I never had to fight for that. Like I never questioned if that came and went, if that was something you was a give and take, like in my core, I don't even know how to explain it, but I, I have it. And feeling my mom's like love for me of just, you know, it's like, I get emotional thinking about it. It's like she, how much she sacrificed for me, but like there wasn't even sacrifice. It was just, it's what she did. And that has been my rocket fuel all of my life. You ask like, you know, I probably from the outside, like look successful. And it's like, I trace it all back to like, I had a home that I was loved. Like that is it. Like I've never, you know, I don't know what that, if I didn't have that to me, that's the foundation of everything that's been built of confidence, ambition, you know, being secure to go after something, you know, to me, the foundation is I felt love. So that was what my journey was. It was like in and out of like, well, if I tell my mom I'm doing this, will she love me? Will she care? And I was like, I got down there. I was like, Phew, like so deep into, into what love was. And yeah, I think that was it. It was really like kind of a shedding of identity of, you know, spirituality. That was a big one, like kind of holding on to kind of old beliefs or beliefs I didn't even really know I maybe had anymore and leading into it and then coming out the other side and being very just like comfortable with who I was. It was a very, you know, and ayahuasca has been a tool that I've worked with consistently with there. It's always something so special about that first time going in, you know, that new world of, it's very special. So that was the, uh, that was that year. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I have, I have so many questions. <laughs> One that comes to mind is, it sounds like the gift that your mom gave you was this like, this like secure attachment in kind of attachment theory. You just had this like deep sense of, of maybe secure attachment to life as well. And what's interesting is that a lot of, let's say like high performing CEOs, entrepreneurs, they often didn't have that growing up and, and they, they used the business or they used the kind of the, the journey to success as a way of getting that approval and finding that kind of love essentially i think that's kind of what it tracks back to so if you already felt an intrinsic sense of love and well-being in yourself like what was your driver to be ambitious and to start you know multiple companies i think my it's always stemmed from this like great balance of selfishness and selflessness like the ambition never whether it was capital floats whether it's been plunge like I never looked at how much money I could make. Like it was like, that was, yeah, money's come from it, but it's like, I've never, like truly, I don't even, it never pent, like I made a business plan for cat floats because I had to find investors, but it was literally like how we could pay our bills. Like it was in the, the start of that was, it's always been like, okay, how do I go make an impact in things that I'm passionate about? 
And for me, everyone asks, like, should you chase your passion? I'm like, eh. should chase your passion when you can bring immense value with it or where there's a problem to be solved there. Like, don't just get into your passion because it's your passion. So soccer was that thing to me. Like, I truly felt I had like a calling when I moved back to Spain. I felt I grew up playing the sport. I loved it. And that's what I worked on. I moved back from Spain to the United States to get involved in Major League Soccer. And at that point, that was my vision. I felt soccer was this uniting activity that brought people together. And I, it was a startup. And I was like, I want to go be a part of that. And it was. It was awesome. I got mentored. I got a lot of business learnings there. But it was very much about a bigger mission and vision for me. And then floating. I, I started floating. I fell in love with it. And the selfishness was, this is a whole new world that I never had access to. If I could build a place that I literally sat at the front desk and just met all these people coming in, that's a win. I didn't think, I was like, if I had made enough to pay my bills, like that was it. I'm winning. Like that was the extent of it. That was the selfishness. The selflessness was, holy shit, this is changing my life. How do I make this more accessible to other people? That was like that world. Plunging comes up. We transition to that world. It was very much the same as floating. It was, there's not really a product on the market. Everything was about 10 grand or up. We were like, man, this is kind of crazy. Like, I think we can build one for five grand. Like, I think that was, can we cut the price in half? Can we create it for that price? We absolutely love this. We do this all the time in our life. It's changing our lives. Became the new tool that we were utilizing a lot, Mike and I. And, you know, so it started there. It was literally like there was a, the selfishness was like, I want to work with Mike personally for myself. Like, I want to work with Mike. I want to create this with him. And selfishly, it was like, this is interesting. Like, it was the new thing. And I was like, I like to be a little ahead of the curve. It's where like floating was that for me. Plunging, I felt like, okay, cool. This is like an interesting part of my story. So that was the selfish part. The selflessness part was like, man, more people need to be doing this. And can we get this a, a lower price point? Can we make an accessible brand? Those were the things of, can we educate more? Can we bring this more to the mainstream and get more people to understand that this is just like a very simple tool, whether you have a, a plunge from us, whether you're in your shower, whether you get in your local river, like this has the potential to change your life. And so that, that has always kind of been my blueprint of, you know, wanting to businesses that I started. So I think the original question of like the ambition, once I get it going, I like to win. And I don't even know what winning is. It's a real, as I say that, I'm like, I just like to push it further. I'm not really content for better or worse. So it allows these companies to grow and be pushed. And, but the ambition is, I think it's less ambition and more, it's kind of a curiosity. Like, what can this become? Like, what can we even do? Like, yeah, I was, I remember floating. I was like, what would it be like if I got people to do 30,000 floats? What's our community going to be like? So it's, it's really run from there. And then the byproduct is, you know, yeah, you get, it's all the other things you don't think about that become cool. Like now I look at like plunge. It's like, it's my family. I walk in our team. I'm here every day. It's like this community that I have that I've built around me that are, you know, people challenging themselves, working towards a mission. It's like, it's incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that so much. And it sounds like the the winning is almost, it's like you're playing the infinite game as opposed to the finite game. The finite game would be like you, you hit a certain revenue amount or you get acquired and that's like it. But it sounds like you're just, you're finding ways to keep the game becoming more interesting. And it's almost like, it's like unfolding the deeper down you go. I, I just made a connection in my mind that one of the questions I wanted to run by you was a question that someone asked me 
few days ago on a podcast, which was what are some practices or experiences that I have in my life for increasing nervous system capacity? And I realized that both of your businesses are in some ways like the float tank, you're increasing your capacity for parasympathetic rest and like really increasing, yeah, increasing that side. And the plunge is increasing your capacity to be with a very intense stressor. And, and so it's, it's interesting that both of your businesses are serving this goal for like increasing nervous system capacity. So I, I thought that was interesting to, to share and also curious what comes to mind for you in terms of like, is that something that you actively work on? Like, are you thinking about ways that you can increase the capacity of your nervous system in these ways? Or is it just, is it just a byproduct? I think to me, it's always been around the term transformation, which is probably a little more ambiguous than nervous system. But I think the nervous system is probably at the core of that into how we can, like you said, stress it, build that robustness in the nervous system, like actually work on that. Like that's actually one of the things that's happening here. And yeah, as I, especially once I've got into cold, I didn't recognize early what was going on. I just knew I feel great and this is improving my life and I feel more capable. And as I've gotten more connected to people that are studying this, I'm like, oh, this is, this is, we're working on our nervous system. This is a getting in the cold, getting in the sauna. These are like true gyms for our nervous system. That's what I've started to see is like, yeah, I have a workout routine for my muscles, for my body, for my joints. Like there is a process for that. Our nervous system is as important in the body as that. But we don't really talk about what is the protocol for that? How do we train that? How do we, it's a totally different dynamic. And so as I've reframed that over time, yeah, it's like, where am I getting micro hits of that? Where am I getting my macro hits of that through like, you know, whether it's through larger experiences or, you know, the cold, the sauna, hard workouts. Those are like the micro hits that I can do, you know, breath work practices that we can invoke that are pretty simple. And then there's the world of like, you know, business to me is like a big training for my nervous system. Like, yep. you know, and it's not as, <laughs> not, I think it's the thing that I love about it. It's like, a, there's real stakes involved and, you know, I get stretched into learning new emotional regulation, which is at its core to me, like my nervous system. It's a very effective vehicle for surfacing your own shit. I think Biz business, intimate partnership, <laughs> they're all arenas that surface our things. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Romantic relationship, like partnership, like those are always being challenged. They're always being like uncovering parts of myself. Yeah. I think that's a huge arena for like nervous system regulation and, and recognizing that and, and challenging conversations and saying what needs to be said. And, you know, so that's all areas I'm growing. And, and those to me are like kind of life you know, there's never an end moment with any of those, whether it's like being a business operator to being a, a partner to, you know, you're uh, in a relationship. But the the small things that we can actually control, like getting in the cold plunge, you know, breath work, sauna, workout, like these things, like maybe working with psychedelics intentionally, like these are things you can bring in that are just going to expand our capability in the things that that I would say truly matter. And those are our relationships. And those are our, you know, at the end of the day, it's relationships, whether you're in business, whether you're in romantic relationship, family relationships, like that's really what we're working on here. And those are just the tools that, that help in those spaces. Yeah, I love that perspective so much. And I'd love to double click on the 
benefits of the cold plunge. And I, I believe that you've worked with, with Dr. Andrew Huberman on, on some of this as well. Um, and I imagine that at this point, most listeners are you know, vaguely familiar that it, it's good for you. It reduces inflammation. Maybe it feels good. Maybe there's metabolism improvements. But what are some of the, the lesser known and maybe like more interesting scientific studies, research insights that you've come across with regards to the benefits of specific cold thermogenesis protocols? Yeah, I think I mean, at the core of it, I would say the most beneficial, interesting, most consistent thing we see is in the mental health space. So it's, you know, Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about this 250% increase in dopamine, which is more than doing a line of cocaine. So you truly come out, but you're not, the thing is, you're not getting that swing effect. It's like sustained. It's a, it's a three to five hour. You're not, it's not like caffeine. It's not like a drug that just, you have a crash from it. It's a very like sustained hit of dopamine. So from a mental health side, you know, there's people more articulate than me that can talk about it, but like that is at its core, we probably all have some irregularities with dopamine or just hormonal balance. And that's what's happening here. So it's like getting in the cold and training our body to first, you get the dopamine hit, you stay in for, you know, you don't need to go that long. It's like two minutes. And all you really need to do is cue in on a temperature that takes your breath away. Like a breath, a temperature that's like, whew, I want to get out. Like, that's fine. That could be 55 degrees. For some people, it's even 60. You don't got to turn it down to 39 or, or get in that water. I would actually recommend not doing that when you're starting out. And you just want to get in and, and you get into that. We're also invoking like to this conversation about our nervous system. It's like, it's one of the very few environments that you can invoke the fight or flight mechanism on demand. Like that doesn't happen. Usually that has to happen in some, when our bodies, we can't plan for it. You know, you can't tell me like, Hey, jump out of that. When I turn around this corner, scare me and put me in a fight or flight and see, let's see how I respond. Or, you know, when someone cuts us off, fight or flight, what do we respond? We cuss them out. We yell, we, we panic, heart rate goes up. Like by getting in the cold, we start to control those moments better. Like our ability in those, our reactions in that become more responses Anyways, the cold is, to me, the greatest place to have learning to regulate in fight or flight. So heart rate shoots up. Can I, I'm safe. You're actually safe in there. That's the beautiful part of it. But the heart rate will spike. You will learn to, how do I breathe in this? You do cold plunging enough, you will learn how to breathe. You will learn how to breathe in stress. And it's, to me, the most simple, straightforward way to learn to breathe in stressful environments. And it could take time. We see a lot of people that start out with cold and they want to fight it. And I see it mostly with men. <laughs> men get in and they want to, I'm, it's a badass thing. I'm going to suffer through this and I'm strong. And it's like, that's fine. And you will learn how to let go. And that's part of the journey into being in stressful scenarios is letting go, like surrender to it. You don't have to fight it. And so I think the cold from that, like, you know, I talk about the mental health, that's number one, like the amount of, I mean, you just go to our website and read our reviews. It, it's insane. Like, which I think is the coolest part from like reading this is like, I got this and I thought I was going to do this and it's changed my life into, you know, how I am as a father, like things that they thought they were going to work out more. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're getting that, but that's like such a byproduct of, you know, being a happier person or being more like connected to your family and those are the things we actually see. And then, you know, there are these plethora of other benefits that you talked about, whether it's metabolism increase. And I think we're trying to understand, I say we, just the whole list, the community in general, like what is, there's different ways to induce these things. So 
for metabolism, my understanding right now is like, it doesn't need to be as cold. It's actually, you probably want it like not at its coldest temperature and you want it, you want to go longer. So that sub 60, sub 55, they term it like browning, getting your brown, like turning on the brown fat in the body and the colder you can be in there. And you could even do that in a cold house, like a cold house activates your brown fat and your brown fat increases your metabolism. There's two different types of fats in our body. We have white fat and we have brown fat. White fat is like energy storage. It's the fat that kind of shows up around our body. Brown fat, which is usually carried in like our chest, neck areas, babies are very, it's, we have a lot of it when we're very young. We tend to lose it over time, but you can reactivate it. And through cold thermogenesis, like that brings, that browns the fat in our body, that activates that. So that's energy production. So that actually pulls away. It helps with glucose regulation. And it also helps with um, diminishing white fat around the body. Anyways, the protocol that's, as I'm starting to understand it, and again, this is, we'll learn more as time goes on and more people do this and more studies take place, but that that's a little longer in the cold and it doesn't have to be as cold. That's more of a metabolism. There's, I consider it resilience training, which is colder temperatures. And you know, what are the benefits to that? To me, it's just capability. Like you're doing, it's like a super hard workout. Can you stand it? Can you go through it? There's, you know, increase in white blood cell counts. So that's more of like a robust nervous system or uh, immune system. So you're getting an increase in white, white blood cell. I think the other piece to this too, is we're learning the power of adrenaline and adrenaline is this amazing. It's amazing for, we actually need to sustain adrenaline for like our health and you can blow out your adrenaline. So it's something to think about, like when you're doing contrast therapy or even cold, like if you go too long in the cold, you're going to, you almost shoot, you blow out all your adrenaline, your adrenaline, it will come back, but it could take a little while. And when you have no adrenaline or your adrenaline's like really used up, you're more susceptible to getting sick. So it's something that like a lot of people wouldn't say a lot of people, but some people go on vacation, they're hyped up, they're in sympathetic state all the time. And then they finally transition on a vacation and they calm down and then they get sick. It's because the adrenaline in the body, they don't, it's, they're not, it's not managed correctly. So it's a balance of, you know, we don't want to be in parasympathetic all the time. There's a balance of how to get there, but sympathetic is an important state to be in. And so getting cold is a way to like manage our adrenaline. It does bring on adrenaline in our body. So just getting hits of it every single morning, you're keeping your adrenaline at a certain level, which is important for our immune system. Blood flow, seeing big increase, like um, impacts there. It will increase blood pressure like when you start because you're kind of, you're having a restriction of the blood, all your blood's flowing to your organs. That's a safety mechanism in the body. But then when you get back out, you know, blood starts to shoot to all the different regions. So that's where it's, it does start to impact workout recovery. And that's a, you know, that's probably the most controversial subject right now of people of like, do you cold plunge right after your workout? Do you cold plunge? Do you space it three hours after? I think the most simple term for me is like, you get cold when you can get cold. Like if you're using it as an excuse to not get cold, you're kind of missing the boat. But if you are, maybe if you are a pro athlete or you are like training for a, a very, you know, maximized muscle gain experience, whether that's weightlifting or something, yeah, you probably want to be separating it. But I will also say we work with a lot of CrossFit athletes and they, to me, they're in the game of recovery and they're not as concerned with it because they're like, I need to work out tomorrow. So I don't care. I want to work out hard tomorrow. So if it stunts the inflammatory response of my muscle gain a little bit today, but I can show back up tomorrow and go at it, that's a win. So they're, it's a long game that they're playing. 
Yeah, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. We see a lot of people with different ailments, like MS is a big one. Uh, so a lot of autoimmune, like in the nervous system, like any, you know, when the nervous system is dysregulated, like that's a win. We see a lot of people very quickly. That's like within a week, usually, of people that start to cold plunge, they start to see a balance take place. Yeah, well, I think we're still scratching the surface. The big one right now, we're working with a couple different, I mean, big, big, research centers on studying cold and heat as it pertains to depression and anxiety. So that's the one I'm excited on. I mean, that's, we're probably about 18, 24 months from really understanding, but like we're talking big money studies going on right now. That to me is finally focusing in on the most impactful part of cold plunging, which is this mental health side. You know, we see a lot with our, it's a common testimony we receive of transitioning off SSRIs or using the plunge as a true anti-anxiety like tool. doesn't have to be a five-minute plunge three times a day, but they'll get in for one minute, three times a day, and it just recenters them. And it's, you know, it's not a one time you do it and you're, you're healed, but it is a, it's like taking a pill. You take it, you feel a little better, like, but you can get in the cold for one minute and kind of have this sustained response. So, I mean, I can kind of go on forever into the things we hear, but it's, it's far different than what I, when I started this company, I did it because I felt great. Like that was it. Depression wasn't something I dealt with. It was more of just like, I feel incredible. I couldn't really articulate what was happening on the dopamine level, but now seeing it from people with so many different walks of life, so many different backgrounds, different ailments, how it's impacting them. It's, we're just scratching the surface into kind of what, how the cold is impacting people. Mm-hmm. I love that you focused on the, the kind of the mental health aspect. And yeah, for me, um, I teach a lot of this stuff and the cold is also a really great way of practicing the down regulation breathing practices. Like you mentioned, like you can go in there, you will, you will be stressed. You will be in that fight flight and you can do like a, a single breath hum or alternate nostril breathing. And you can really feel the effects of your, your nervous system downshifting in, you know, 30 seconds or less. Um, and so it's, it's actually become like a very helpful teaching modality in some sense. And yeah, I, I think I also, I'd like to talk more about the, for me, I developed a deep relationship with cold water about five and a half years ago when I was going through loss. I lost someone very, very close to me and I was living next to the ocean and I began a practice of cold water swimming in this, in, this was in winter. It was like December and it was like snow on the ground. And I think perhaps more than any, than any meditation retreat, than any plant medicine, the practice of swimming in the cold for, I, I went for like 25 minutes, um, which is probably lo longer than, uh, longer than I, I should have done in some ways. But there was a sense of, as I was swimming, the ice cream headache and the pain would get so intense. And my default reaction, as you mentioned, a lot of men get in, they fight it, they fight the cold. And there was a turning point where I, I mean, I was like, 200 meters out to sea. I couldn't, I couldn't just get out, but I, I like let in the cold. I fully let in and welcomed the sensation that I thought was painful. And in that, a lot of the grief and emotion um, kind of came through as well. And it was like, I'd been putting up these walls to, to the emotions in the same way that I'd been putting up the walls to feeling the cold. And that was, it was such a, like a daily teacher in surrender that if I didn't really like fully let go a hundred percent, then I would just be suffering for the entire swim. And when I did, then you know, a couple of minutes later, this like 
rush of aliveness and energy and just like ecstasy would kind of come through. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this, it, it really, yeah, I mean, it, it helped me get through that really challenging part of my life. And I feel like there's so many parallels between learning to sit with the pain of the cold and not resisting, but like you said, to learn how to let go and to learn how to surrender. And I think that's such a, I mean, it's a powerful lesson for all of life, really, but particularly when it comes to working with challenging emotions. There was another, um, I did a workshop in Bali a couple of years ago, and the facilitator asked us to, we did 10 minutes in the ice, uh, which was <laughs> felt like a long time for me. And after getting out, he was like, don't warm up straight away, like allow your body to shiver. And I sat in the shade and for about 10 minutes or so, he said, like, don't spend too long because hypothermia is a, is a genuine risk, but just allow yourself to shiver and be in the vulnerability of that shivering. And I remember my teeth were chattering, like my entire body was just shaking. And again, more, more emotion kind of came through. And I've since learned that, you know, shaking is one of the ways that our body naturally completes these mobilization reflexes. And so for me, that's been another kind of added practice that prolonged exposure in cold water has, has given me this, like another way to surface some of these just repressed emotions or emotions that otherwise don't get a chance to be to be felt or experienced. So it's really interesting with your story. I mean, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Wim Hof's story. Yeah. Um, I mean, very, very similar story. Lost someone near and dear in his life and similar thing. Like, you know, he said the cold taught him how to feel again. And, you know, that was the start of his whole journey and definitely something there. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is it something that you've explored for yourself or maybe a better question would be, like, how do you think about the word surrender now in your life? Is that something that you, you've thought about? I do. I mean, the word surrender, I see it as like a, it's like a synonym to presence to me, kind of neither there nor there. I, you know, kind of not looking, not, not far out, not looking back. Yeah. It's, it's tough for me to like put into words, but it's definitely been, it always comes down to breath and to how to surrender from an actual like physical standpoint, like what that looks like. Yeah. It's definitely in like a parasympathetic state feel like the, we all like, especially in the, in the plunge, like you feel that when your body first 45 seconds, like you said, it's like you're, you're heightened and you can feel the, you want to get to that, that first, like, oh, okay. Like there's, there's been a, I've regulated a bit. And so that the plunge has been a great tool for me to actually feel that consistently on a daily basis of what a surrender experience feels like. Psychedelics have also been an incredible tool for me in there. You know, some experience that you just, you can't, it's beyond my mind. It's beyond what I can push through and it's just letting go into it. So yeah, I'm not sure I know how to perfectly articulate surrender, but it's the greatest place to get to for, for me to just be present with what is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I'm interested in, like, it sounds like you kind of have these, like these daily practices around meditation, the colds, working out. And then you have these, maybe, I think you mentioned like once a year, every year or so, you kind of sit, sit with Aya and, and restore that connection. Is there anything that's like in between those two? Cause it, it almost feels like there's a gap where like, mm -hmm. at least for me, if I, if I have a, a profound experience through say, 
to I or something else, then it's all, that will kind of last for me for like a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, but then it kind of, it starts to fade. Like, is there a way that you can reestablish that, that connection or that reset in your life? It's not, I wouldn't say there's like a defined way that I do it. I definitely like, okay, we talk about psychedelic. I is once a year and that's a very intentional, like get away. I'm multiple days in, I'm, you know, that set and setting is, is very unique. There are other tools. Like I, I travel. That's definitely a time to kind of get outside of what, what I'm working on, what my day-to-day is like. I mean, one that just, and I'd say it's more felt into like, okay, what is the thing to do? Is it to do a very hard activity that I push myself into and train for and prep for? Is it, you know, the big one that I just had recently, I haven't really shared this, but we, I was in a trip in travel. We went to Kauai, my, my girlfriend and I, and it was great. It was kind of there, but I was like, I'd been distant. I'd been kind of an asshole, to be honest. And we took some mushroom chocolates and it was like, we did it with the intention of like, let's connect. And we were, you know, of course, whenever I take those, I want to, want to be fun, <laughs> you know, I want to, and it wasn't, it was like, oh, we have a lot of things to dive into. And it was like a lot of tears and a lot of, you know, I felt a ton of weight of, for as many like good emails and comments I get from people, I get stuff of customers that are upset, you know, something doesn't go right. And, they, and I get it. And I hadn't realized how much weight I had been carrying from that. Like it was, you know, you just kind of sold on. Like I get it. I'm kind of public facing within the company. People reach out, I get it. And I look, I'm with it. I want to solve it all. But I, it hit me of like, oh my, and it was starting to impact my relationship with Raya. It was like, oh, like I'm kind of cold. I'm like putting up a wall because I don't want to keep feeling this like frustration that people have. And I didn't quite know how to handle it. Anyways, that was like, I bring that up is like, it was a release. I became back so much lighter. I came back and it wasn't like totally planned out. I don't have the hedonic calendar, like Jamie wheel, where it's <laughs> yeah, like <yeah. laughs> super, super organized, but it's definitely like on an intuitive basis of like, Oh, like got to drop in. And yeah, I think as I'm having this combo, it's like, there is a bit of a gap there. I have the big one. I have the dailies. And then there's like some integration that can be a thing. I mean, I think like Ryan and I have talked about just getting like a couples counselor and having someone there for us. It's just like a space that we can like have, you know, it's a, it's an intentional space to come in and like, let's make time for this. Let's make time for the things that are maybe going unsaid, or we don't even realize that are happening. So I think that's to, like, as I'm kind of processing this right now, those are things that need to get filled in into the gap there. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, my wife and I have actually been, we've had a couples therapist for almost three years now and pretty, pretty much every month um, we drop in and it's been so, so valuable <laughs> like over the years, even when we think there's, you know, everything's great, it, it things surface and we're like, oh, like we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's- Do you, it's you recommend cr- him or her? Yeah, I highly recommend her. Uh, she's here in Colorado. Yeah, I, I can definitely, we've, we've referred probably about nine or 10 of our friends at this point, so she might be full, but- <laughs> I can definitely, definitely make an intro. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's such an interesting one. And there was something that you, um, you wrote on Twitter that I wanted to touch on as well. That was, it was on this theme of commitment. And you said the more that we commit to one thing, the more doors open up to us. And I was wondering if you could speak to what you mean by that and how that's presented itself in your life. Yeah. I think it's, I think the more we become an expert at something, the more we become yeah. So I'll just, let's speak from a business standpoint. 
There's us that jump around from different company or different things and we never quite go deep enough, but we're kind of a, we're good at some, but not a master at any. And the more we commit, the more we become on the path of mastery. And that's just gravitas. Like that is naturally like people are attracted to that. Like whether it's, I think a capital floats. When I started that, another big factor into that, and I remember I had a good, good buddy and, and business mentor said, dude, it's not about the success. Like you want capital floats to succeed, quote unquote, but this is your door in to everything else that you want. And it's, it, you know, it's like that became my res like, oh, he got some shit done. You know, so many people that are looking to partner with people and work with people and launch a business with people or just be with people. It's like, what have you done? Like, we're all subconsciously kind of like computing that. And, you know, we have all the people that say they're going to do something. And it's like, to be honest, it's like their word just gets cheapened because we, we don't, what have you done? Like, we're all like, even if. We're not maybe consciously thinking that subconsciously we are. And so I remember for cap, that was like a big thing. I wanted to, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get it across the finish line. And by doing that, by committing and saying, no, I will get this open regardless of what shows up. I'm committed to this place opening. Like, and it was, that was probably the biggest commitment I ever, like I had no clue what I was getting into. I was, was very green. It was a lot for me. And However, it just, everything opened up from there. It was, people looked at me differently. People talked to me differently. I had more opportunities that presented itself now. And that's when I say doors open up and that shows up in so many different things. You know, the more we commit into our partnership, it's like the more connection we get to feel, the more love we get to feel like these new doors that didn't maybe exist. And so that's, that's just what I've seen from my experience of like, you know, see something through, see something big, go, go after something. And, and, you know, the 10 steps ahead, you can't really foresee what that is, but if you get this one step done, it just, things start to amplify into the opportunities around us. Yeah. I love that. And it, it seems like it's also related to the nervous system capacity piece that we talked about, where it's like you expanded your capacity to, to kind of like be someone that could, could do a thing and that could open up a business. And I imagine that the plunge was significantly easier because you had that that experience, those, those reps in a way under your belt and the confidence I imagine that comes from that. You nailed it, man. It's like, it, there's twofold to this. First, I look at, you talk about doors open, Mike owned reboot float and cryo. So he owned three float centers. So we, we had already consciously and subconsciously acknowledged each other. Like, oh, he gets, he knows how to create something. He can build something. I can, I see, I've seen how he worked. So that door got opened. We now were ready to like jump into something with the potential to be larger than what we had done before. And then I think, you know, the actual, like you, there's certain, it wasn't my first rodeo in, in experiencing, you know, shit hits the fan and it feels like it's, shit, it's at the fan. It's like that would have early on in plunge would have wrecked me. Like I probably, it probably doesn't keep going. Um, and then even to the point of just how the business was built, we built it on our customer base from our float centers. Like we emailed them and said, Hey, we're working on this new project. The pandemic's hit. We've had to shut our businesses down, but we can build cold plunges. Who wants to, we're building 20. We'll hand deliver to your house because they were all in Northern California. So it's like from a door, like we had built trust. They knew like, cool, if I buy this unit for four or 5,000 bucks, like these guys are going to do it. Even though we were very clear of like, we're not some massive business. They had built trust with us. They knew these guys do what they say they're going to do. I'll give you my money. I believe it's going to be a good product. 
you know, and that was the funding of the whole start of the business. We just built it that way. And so, you know, I talk about doors opening. It's like, I would have never thought that I was building my first customer base by opening capital floats into plunge. Like that was, you know, you never quite know what you're building now or like what's being worked on now that becomes the big thing. And those doors just start to present themselves. Totally. I love that so much. All right. Well, I want to transition into a few rapid fire questions and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. You've kind of already answered this, but uh, what is something that feels like it's at your edge right now? What are you tracking or working on in your own life? I think giving, this one just popped in my head, is like giving more clear feedback to employees. Yeah. And how it's presented and how it's, yeah, as opposed to just ideas, like give, getting really in their court and like giving, yeah, improving my feedback. Beautiful. For listeners who have access to a plunge or an ice bath, what is your recommended protocol or protocols in terms of timing and temperature? Uh, if you're just starting out, I recommend 55 degrees for two minutes and just start there and let it all build over time. If you, for me, my protocol is uh, my unit set to between 46 to 48 degrees. And I go two to three minutes first thing in the morning every single day. Awesome. What is one uh, favorite paradoxical piece of advice or wisdom that you hold? Well, I said the uh, the selfish and selflessness one earlier. I think like when starting out a uh, on a project, like both those need to be present to persevere. You have to have a selfish reason. It cannot be fully selfless. And if it is fully like if you're only selfish the selflessness has to be big enough to push through at times where you're just coming up short. So I'd find if you're, whatever you're starting, whatever you're building, make sure you're very clear on why you're selfishly doing it and why you are selflessly doing it. What does it mean to die gracefully? I don't know yet. It's my pursuit and I don't know what that exactly is. And to me, there will be, I just, it's a belief. It's a belief that I have personally, there will be a moment of when I transition and I want to meet that gracefully. And I want to, to the, what we discussed today, I want to surrender to it. And I, to me, it's arguably the biggest thing I'm building in my life for that moment. Mm. What is your greatest aspirational vision that you have for your work and your businesses? I think it goes to one of our core values of All Boats Rise, that it's like anyone that comes into the gravitas or into the into the process, like, wins, you know? And that's through fulfillment, that's through joy, that's through challenge. I think it's even on a personal level, the business becomes kind of the, the external thing. But anyone that comes in contact with me, I want them to feel like I came out feeling better, more fulfilled, more successful. Like, that is my biggest aspiration. I love that. Well, this has been such a pleasure, Ryan. I've really, really enjoyed this. Where can listeners learn more about you, learn more about The Plunge? Like where where would you direct listeners to? Plunge.com for all Plunge-related stuff. You can find us on social too. Type in Plunge or Cold Plunge, you'll you'll find us. Yeah, so Plunge.com. And then me personally, uh, probably most active on either LinkedIn or, or Instagram. And that's just Ryan, Ryan Dewey. Okay, I'd like to close with this Rilke line. Uh, he said, try to love the questions themselves and live them now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live your way into the answer. And with that in mind, 
what is the question that is most alive in your consciousness right now? And what question might you leave our listeners with? Man, good. This pod goes deep. I think it's uh, one that just kind of popped and it's it's there. It's just, how can I be like the best son to my parents right now with this like moment where we're at in life? As they're getting older, as I, you know, the, dyna- the they're always my parents, but we're at different, all at different stages and kind of, uh, yeah, connecting with them and, and cherishing the time. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. This has been so much fun. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life. Thanks for listening.